right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the 12 Questions podcast here on the Teardown feed. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I do these questions every week. Well, not every week because I just took about a month off after we welcomed our second child. So there was a little bit of a delay getting these back up and going. But here we are uh, with the first one since March. If you uh, were like, wait, wait a minute, what happened to these? There hasn't been one since Alex Bowman. No, there hasn't. But we're back today with Jennifer Jo Cobb, who has obviously been in the news recently. Never done a 12 questions with Jennifer Jo Cobb. But um, tell you what, after I read her uh, interview story with Chris Knight following her rejection from NASCAR to be able to race in the cup race at Talladega, um, you know, I just felt like, man, I haven't talked to her, done a, done much on her over the years. Thought it'd be a good time to just get to know her a little bit better um, and hear where she's at with, with everything that happened at Talladega. Obviously uh, disappointing for her, but she's also going back to her home track this week at Kansas Speedway to race in the Truck Series race and get back to her normal routine. So um, before she boarded a plane at the Charlotte Airport, she was nice enough to join me. Let's listen to our interview now. All right, everybody. I'm here with Jennifer Joe Cobb. And uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I appreciate it. And I'm excited to uh, to do this for the first time with you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So the first question is, when you meet someone who doesn't know who you are, do you ever lie about what you do for a living? Absolutely. I tell them <laughs> I'm in mar- <laughs> I tell them I'm in marketing. <laughs> marketing? Uh-huh. Yep. What happens if it starts going down the rabbit hole where they realize that you might be who you are? I didn't lie to them. I'm absolutely in marketing. <laughs> and oh, okay. it, what, what, what happens most often, more often than not, is, <clears throat> yeah, many times, it depends on the scenario, but a lot of times I'll tell people, if I tell you what I do, you have to promise me that you will not tell anyone else here and you will not ask me any follow-up questions because there's about 10 questions that you get asked that you would be cornered for 30 minutes of your rare night out or whatever it might be. <laughs> yep. Totally get that. Um, which NASCAR driver have you known for the longest? Hmm. That's interesting. And, and by known that what, what makes it interesting is because I've raced in the camping world truck series for 10 years and I was a rookie when Austin Dillon was a rookie. And so, you know, that year, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that raced back then don't race anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I don't have Austin's phone number. It's not like I could pick up the phone and call him. So, you know, I, let's go with Shauna and, uh, but I guess she's not a current driver. Is she? That's true too. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. I'm sorry that I can't think of, um, anyone, you know, uh, the, the, the underfunded teams in the truck series, we're all pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ray Sicarelli, Josh Rayum, we help each other. And it's crazy because you're there to compete against each other, but we also help each other. Um, so, you know, a lot of those guys back there, you know, we feel each other's pain. We're going through the same thing. So um, instead of going with, you know, who who I've known the longest, maybe just some of them that I could pick up the phone and call and ask a favor or, or give a favor. And, and that would be probably Ray. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe to us what it feels like to crash in a race car? You're mad. I know people think we're scared, but you're you're fighting to save it or to have a better outcome or less damage all the way to the point of impact. You're never scared. It, it's 
more like, dang it, surely there's something I can do. And so you're trying everything you can to save it all the way up into that last minute. Um, the hardest I ever hit was at Daytona. And that was, that was a pretty big one. And you are taught to take your hands off the steering wheel. Um, but I, I, I've never liked covering my eyes. I always think that's kind of weird, you know, so I just kind of cross my hands over my heart and go, here we go. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, do you have any new habits or lifestyle changes you've made lately that you're particularly proud of? During the quarantine, I created a grid because I am a person um, like most race car drivers with, you know, some sort of an ADD personality. And I knew that it would be all or nothing for me. I would either lay in bed all day or I would uh, make something of this time. And so I made a grid to every day do some sort of exercise, um, connect with God, read the Bible or read, you know, I, I got into this uh, app called Church Home, which is amazing. Um, learn something, grow my mind. So I did Duolingo for Spanish. And hmm. so I'm trying to carry over some of those habits. Once we got back to racing, things were just wide open all of a sudden. And uh, some of those habits that I am proud of, you know, like learning Spanish and connecting with God on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, the exercises probably get suffered the worst, but I'm getting ready to start back into that habit of like 10 push ups minimum and 50 sit ups minimum every day, that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. Uh, what makes you laugh during a race? I think the jokes that go through my own head and that would probably be like on the cautions. And I get, I get mad at my spotter or my crew chief when they don't laugh with me. I'm like, Hey, you guys, I just told a joke. You need to laugh. <laughs> but sometimes I say the silliest things that they just don't know how to respond. Um, I do think I, I, when I'm in a good mood and things are going okay, I do think I'm quite entertaining. Um, I used to tell my friend that I thought I could be a comedian and she would laugh at me and I would say, see, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, what is a quality or skill you envy in other drivers? I don't know if they're faking it, but the thick skin. And I'm going to tell you the driver that I will give the most credit to for having thick skin. And that's Angela Ruck. Hmm. Um, this past week, I've been in some controversy and I'm completely off social media. Because 10,000 people can say kind words about you. And then that one just stings. And so, you know, I think the drivers that can, I think we all, we all want to be the best we can be. And we don't all have the same circumstances, the same budgets, etc. So I think the drivers that can handle that controversy and keep their head held high and come back. I mean, you know, AJ Allmendinger had controversy and he walked through it and now we, we don't even think about it. I certainly don't want to, <laughs> you know, uh, bring it up, talk about it, but I admire that. I admire people that can come out the other side and carry on. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question. Cause, uh, this is a wild card question where I personalize it to each person each week. And obviously you mentioned the, the controversy of last week of not being able to, uh, be allowed to race after, uh, you had already been announced to. Um, so I, I just, honestly, I wanted to ask, how are you doing now? How are you doing through all that? Um, you know, what's your outlook, you know, moving forward and everything? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it made me question everything I've worked for for my entire life. Uh, last week was devastating. There are, you know, hundreds of NASCAR officials and people who work for NASCAR and people who work in the offices 
that as a team owner, you know, I, I work with those folks. I'm the one who's turning in the entry form. I'm the one turning in the paint scheme. You know, I'm doing all of those things. And, and I believe that I have earned a lot of respect from those folks over the years. And I think with, you know, one fell swoop, a small group of individuals took that respect away. Um, at least that's what it felt like. But um, the outpouring of support that I've received from people who can't publicly say something has been uh, pretty great. It does, it does outweigh the negative that happened. And as a motivational speaker, I've spoken in Russia and the country of Georgia. I've spoken for the U.S. Embassy. I speak all over the world about being the underdog and striving and not giving up and persevering so that you, uh, you know, that break will come to you. That day will come. Well, that day came for me and something went weirdly wrong because we all know the timeline is odd. And that's the worst part about it is that there, there's just all I ask. And this is kind of my final statement on, on in that regard, judge me the same way you judged the 40 men who raced in that field on Sunday, judge my performance, my experience level, the same way you based theirs when you approved them. And I don't believe that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to, for the abrupt transition here as the nature of this no interview. Problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, this has become a remote work world. And if you were allowed to relocate, uh, to a different state than where your team shop is, where would you want to live? Well, I'm from Kansas city, born and raised, and I still have a house there. And it has been my dream for a decade to build a first class race shop facility in Kansas City that would be a tourist destination for NASCAR fans in the Midwest. Uh, Furniture Row did it successfully. And I, you know, obviously the finances of that is what prevents me from doing it. But I would do that in a heartbeat. I think we could uh, I think we could recruit new talent into the sport. I think we could give um, folks that wouldn't normally have an opportunity. I I told my dad one time, I said, you know, we're so lacking in finding people to work on these race cars. And I said, there are so many capable stock car mechanics at the local level that I know would do a great job if they only, the only thing is they'd have to move to North Carolina in order to do it. So uh, my hometown, I think that'd be awesome. That that, that would be a huge uh, dream of mine, but we'll see. That'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what is an embarrassing mistake you've made on the track that you're comfortable sharing with us now? Sort of like the funny story you can laugh about, I guess. Right, right. Um, I was in Phoenix 2011, and I went to qualify for uh, the Xfinity race. And as I was exiting pit road, I was Phoenix, the, the track, is it's very sandy. And when you're one of the first people on the track, you know, there's a lot of sand, a lot of, a lot of rookies find this. (laughs) Um, And so I was trying to warm my tires up or get them, you know, scuffed in so that they would have a little bit more grip for my qualifying lap. And I was trying to do the rears and the fronts at the same time, which I've done many, many times. And um, sure enough, I lost it, hit the wall, exiting pit road. And I come on the radio and I was like, that was so stupid, stupid, stupid. I I was just going off on myself. You know, I'm really hard on myself, believe it or not. And um, the announcers played it and they were like, she should not be that hard on herself. That is a mistake that, you know, has been made, can be made. So that's, you know, by far the most embarrassing because first and foremost, I strive to respect my competitors, be respectful uh, 
to them and to receive that from them. And, you know, I've worked hard to have that over the years. And so when I did that all by myself, I was, you know, when you qualify, you're out there all by yourself. So there's no choice but to look at you. So that one was brutal. Yeah, no, I I could understand why that would be. (laughs) Um, If someone were to hand you an envelope and inside of this envelope was the date of your final career win, would you open it? Yes. Because you'd want to know either way? Not to quit. I would want to know not to quit. Uh, One of my favorite books is called The Traveler's Gift. And it talks about how many people get 90% of the way to their goal. And it's the last 10% that is the hardest. And they quit. And it's a short read. It's a great read. I recommend it in all of my speeches. Um, It's called The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. And and absolutely, I would want to know. And the thing is, the whole deal in my career, in my NASCAR career, because I won races before I got to this level. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, runner-up champion at I-70 Speedway right before I started racing, you know, nationally. And <clears throat> the whole thing is you hang in there as a small team. And sometimes you have fun. Sometimes it's, you know, brutal in the back. Um, but you hang in there for that moment or that opportunity where you can gain more funding, a bigger sponsor and fastener supply came along and they've really saved us. But COVID is more expensive to race in COVID than non. Hmm. And it's because we don't have practice. So we can't get practice tires from the other teams. So, uh, it, you know, we're, we're really on a shortage of tires to finish out the race. But anyway, um, you, you hang in there hoping for a change or striving for a change or striving for that moment, that opportunity. And like I say, I, I was starting to get, sponsor requests and interest based on the announcement and we all know what happened. So yes, because I think it would be that motivation to keep pushing through the hard times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you achieved your childhood dream? I think so. Um, I wanted to be a race car driver Mm -hmm. and I became a race car driver. I did not come from money. Uh, my dad was a dirt racer and auto mechanic. My, My mom, Uh, worked on an assembly line and I created a career and that parlayed into becoming a team owner that parlayed into becoming an international speaker for the U S embassy. So I did get to a point where I pinched myself and I was like, I cannot believe I'm a full-time race car driver. I'm traveling to Moscow, St. Petersburg, Russia, all over speaking at the, I think for the embassy, you know, so, so yeah, I, I think I've exceeded it, but I'm not done yet. There's more mm-hmm. I want to accomplish and especially in racing. Yeah. That's really, really cool. So each week, um, I ask a driver to give me a question for the next interview. And the last interview was with Alex Bowman and, um, he wanted to wait till he knew who it was. So I let him know it was you. And so his question for you is, um, coming from somebody who has lived the low budget back half of the garage area thing, what is the hardest part of your weekend? You know, it, it, it depends on how the race goes. Um, of course you start the race with anticipation that it's going to be better this time. And then without practice, you know, you, you get through the first probably, probably up to that first pit stop is the hardest because you don't know what you've got. Mm. The green flag drops and you have no idea how your truck's going to handle. We don't have the simulators. We don't have, you know, all the technology. So 
practice is crucial for us. And so getting to that first pit stop where you can ask for an adjustment because, you know, you, you don't go out there and go, oh, my gosh, it's wrecking loose and immediately come down pit road. You just have to woe up and hang in there and not wreck it so that you can get to that first pit stop. So that's absolutely the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so for the next interview, I don't know who it is yet. So you can either give um, sort of like a generic question for the next driver or um, when I know who it is, I can kind of double back with you and you can um, make it specific for them. It's up to you, whichever you want to do. Yeah, I would love to make it specific for them. Sure. Sure. I think that'd be cool. And, and I appreciate Alex's question, you know, because I think, I think those guys get it, you know, they, they get that the back of the field is not driving the same machine as the front of the field. Um, yep. so, so yeah, I, I appreciate being able to explain that or expose that or, um, you know, teach the fans that, that, you know, it's not just, I think it's 70, 80% your car and your team and your pit crew and all of that good stuff. And I think the remaining 30, I think it's probably 20% is either you can drive a race car or you can't. And then I think the 10% is either you're a really, really great race car driver, um, you know, or you're just, you're fully capable and you're going to work on yourself to get better. You know, that's yeah. kind of how I think it breaks down. Well, thank you so much for being willing to join us. I really appreciate uh, you coming on here. Yeah, Jeff, thank you. I appreciate the interest and, um, you know, appreciate the, whether the media or the fans, most of them, whether they like me or not, um, I have really felt, uh, you know, the bewilderment from everyone. And, and I do appreciate that. All right, everybody, there you have it. Jennifer Joe Cobb, appreciate her time. And um, that was really interesting. I, I definitely learned a lot about her. And um, hopefully she can move on from the Talladega experience because um, that was really unfortunate. Not sure I uh, quite understand that one from NASCAR and their approval process. But anyway, gave us an excuse to uh, chat on the 12 questions. So don't know who the next driver will be yet. Uh, still trying to nail that down. But we'll uh, get back with Jennifer for her question as I did with Alex Bowman. And um, yeah, thanks for listening so much. And we'll talk to you next time on the 12 Questions Podcast. <laughs>